GM friends and welcome to the future of gaming. You're listening to our weekly blockchain gaming roll-up. We are recording this on the 27th of August. Um, we got Philip Collins, we got Devin Becker and myself, Nico Vreke. And we got to thank Devin for this because the man woke up after two hours of sleep. It is 9 a.m. Pacific time and Devin has very weird sleeping schedule. Um, so respect, Devin. Thank you for being here. No problem. I'm, I'm actually hanging upside down right now because I'm a vampire. <laughs> Dude, you'll hear here his energy level. Let's see if we can get him up to you know up to right. normal because uh, usually me. he's like whoa whoa whoa. Um, in any case, if you are on YouTube, you'll see that I'm wearing a silly hat. It's because it's a big day today. First reason is, and the most important reason is that one of our Fogdown members, his name is Dan. He's he's a baguette. He's from France. He's got a third girl last night. So uh, congrats, sir. Um, and so the second reason I'm wearing this is because today is Lute's birthday. I've got my hat. I've got my T-shirt with my loot back on. Um, I'm I'm well dressed for the occasion. So we can we can talk a bit about loot. We'll also discuss Gamescom. So I just came back yesterday, which is why we're recording this on a Saturday, except for uh, uh, instead of a Friday. Um, we'll talk a bit about Axie Infinity. Um, then there's another chess game, a new one, blockchain chess. It's a thing. And then there's also a GT GTA inspired Web3 game coming out, which sounds kind of cool. In any case, so Devin is tired. Phil, how are you doing? Doing well. It's probably the most normal time we've ever had this conversation. So <laughs> I know it's not normal for Devin, <laughs> but <laughs> it's, uh, it's very normal for me. So I'm, I'm good. Nice. All right. Let's get rolling. So Lutz, let's start with that. Um, exactly one year ago, Dom Hoffman, creator of Vine, or co-founder co of Vine, he... Um, he launched an NFT project where the idea was it is fully on-chain meta metadata. Uh, it is an equipment bag as were, was seen in the old school RPGs and you could do whatever the hell you want with it. So, you know, there were initially no royalties. Um, it was there for the community to build with. And I think for a lot of people, this sparked the inspiration of this concept of, you know, community or asset up game development. You know, we've discussed interoperability quite a lot on this podcast. And whenever someone mentions interoperability within or to a, you know, Web2 game developer, they immediately imagine I'm building a game and then suddenly right, I'm going to allow players to bring an item from another game into my game. It's never going to happen. Um, and so Loot was kind of a, an answer to that where it's, look, we're ha we have the assets and we're going to ask or hope that community members actually just build games on top of the assets so there's like built-in interoperability um in any case um what were you guys like when did you start paying attention to loot before we go into like where loot is today how about you Devin? in my case it was uh you you uh having some podcasts about it kind of ranting about it and i was like what the hell is this guy talking about like it was so abstract and weird like i had to google it like and then i had to look at like five or six different pages because I'm like, I, I don't get it. Like what? Just, uh, it, it takes a minute to really kind of understand it because it's, it's one of those things where, uh, it does, it kind of bends the idea of like value when we talk about digital assets and stuff. You, you know, it's one thing when it's like art and you're like, okay, you know, I, I understand like I, you're owning art and I can kind of understand the sort of analogy towards owning physical copies of art uh, and print runs and things like that. But then like this idea of just a list of things, uh, like, I mean, what am I getting someone's grocery list? It's, it's such a weird idea. Um, 
but that, I guess that's kind of what makes it work is that it was really trying to explore what an NFT could mean in terms of uh, let's let's not focus on the in, like the intrinsic value. Let's see what what happens when we create something that has value based off the way that we kind of work with it. Um, I think was it's an interesting experiment nonetheless. Um, I don't know if everyone quite gets it necessarily just because it's so so weird, but mm -hmm. I like that it exists for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think I started paying attention to it as the price ran up, and I kept seeing these NFTs with words on them uh, coming up in, in OpenSea and across and across the news. Um, I think what is interesting about it is, like you mentioned, Nico, it is so backwards from what we typically think of in terms of asset scarcity and price accretion, where usually things in games have value because there's already an underlying game with an underlying audience, and people want the cool items or the most effective items. And in Loot's case, you don't really have any of that, right? You're you're almost buying into the vision that the community will create something cool. And so this will have value at some point in the future. And I guess that's kind of the way that a lot of these NFTs in, in gaming work today, where the game's not necessarily out and you're just hoping that they have value because it eventually is a good game. Uh, but Loot's taking it to the extreme because the team didn't even really upfront, from what I remember, try to, to say, hey, like we're going to build this ex single experience that these are going to be useful. And it's like, these are just going to be useful in whatever you all do with it. Um, so definitely backwards, but but a really cool experiment and probably one of the best examples of a team using the whole ethos of decentralization in practice, or instead of just saying, hey, it's a game, you own your items, it's a, and, and, we'll, and we'll let you help us dictate the, the development process. It is like totally radical of, hey, you all can do whatever you want with them. You can create the experiences. Um, it is the most community driven thing I think we've seen in Web3 gaming so far which is which is really cool but um but yeah i think even i still don't fully get what this will look like and i think that's probably a, a pretty normal position to be in just because we don't know what it will be mm -hmm. yeah no one knows and you mentioned the team a few times and to be like there is no really not really a loot team at least it was created by one dude and then mm -hmm. he kind of uh didn't do anything more so he was involved in conversation but didn't make any big decisions uh, he is building adventure quest or a quest for adventures um it's and and it's nothing yet so you know maybe you know over the next days he will like more we will know more about that specific game or whatever it's going to be because it could be something else in a game um anyway so he's not really involved so what we have now so quick update so initially you had these huge price spikes i remember floor price at some point being like 16 eth or something crazy um, and or even higher I, I i also know that there was one loot bag bought for 1.6 million dollars or something and um then you had uh adventure gold issued so if you had a loot bag you could mint adventure gold and then you know everyone was crazy about adventure gold um because it was supposed to be the currency of the loot first um and then there were about 100 projects that popped up um and most of them are discontinued so a lot of projects because a lot of them were not necessarily meant to be a game you had you know, price trackers for certain items within the loot bag. So, for example, divine robes of that were like wasn't really rare. It was one of the more common items, but people were like really into it. And then you know you could track the price of divine robes on different websites and stuff like that. Um, in any case, if you look at the loot landscape today, um, there is uh, there's a lot still going on. Actually, I think the biggest ones are one. Um, and there's an interesting difference between these two. So one is the magic uh, like slash treasure ecosystem. So that is actually like a very big um, ecosystem built on Arbitrum. 
and it is it is it was like originally founded on loot so you could with loot back or adventure gold like start um you know generating some of the the tokens some of the magic tokens um but that is completely separate now there's there's no bridge anymore between the two and then you have realms realms is another loot derivative game um you could mint a realm with a loot bag and they're pretty advanced in building and fully on-chain game on StarkNet. So um, I've had a lot of a few on my uh, podcast a few times. Um, brilliant dude, um, super passionate about all this. And actually, like in the in the next days or weeks, there should be some exciting news coming out over like about Realms. I think probably should get him on on, on here um, to discuss all of that stuff because. Um, there's definitely a lot of stuff to be excited about there, um, and then apart from that, there's also a lot of happening on the on the CC zero side with a lot of art being created and like stories being written. Um, not super up to date with that, um, but loot isn't dead. The floor price is now around I think one ETH or something. I've looked mm -hmm. at it in a while, so the, the excitement is down significantly. That's for sure. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm curious. Like, I, I think there's a world where loot in itself like does isn't really used. And it's more like the the projects that respond that's in themselves mm -hmm. become something. Um, and loot will always um, will always be like the, the the place where it originated. But it seems like there's no real incentives for any of these projects to actually like actually use loot within their game. Mm -hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah, it is interesting too. Going back to the the team concept, and I know it's basically a standalone individual. When that first came out, I feel like it got so much attention because the individual creating it had that background, right? You talked about his Vine experience. Yes. I feel like if some other just kind of unknown person had come out with a project like like Loot, people would have been red flag. This is going to be a rug. Like this is stupid. Mm -hmm. But like it is interesting the power of creators in the the brand of creators in the Web three world really gives a lot of flexibility in terms of what can be created and. I mean, I'm, I'm glad he had that background because it enabled him to launch and, and uh, you know, kind of kick off something that is really cool. But without that background and almost this this fundamental level of trust because of the prior creations that he had come out with, I feel like loot would have just been totally overlooked as this like crazy money grab um, in, in Web3. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Totally. Um, good. So update on loot. That was the update on loot. Let's see what the next months bring. The the excitement is, is has gone down. The people that are saying like I work within the loot verse has gone down. Um, but um, yeah, let's see where where this ends up. Okay. Um, next, let's talk about the chess game. Devin, you wanna wanna kick that one off? Yeah, we've got uh, as I see, kind of yet another chess game being being launched, basically off of a. Uh, NFTs or blockchain, it, it seems to be like a trend. And I think part of this is due to um, just chess in general being kind of back in again. Um, this one backed by Animoca Brands and uh, Limpo, which is like a company, I believe, underneath Animoca Brands um, as they own many things. Um, but it, it's just it's interesting to see uh, an old game that's a public domain game uh, that in itself hasn't changed in a very long time, continuing to get built on upon and I mean, maybe that's a big part of the reason why is that the game underlying game itself is is free to do whatever you want with, similar to something like loot. Kind of good transition there, I guess. Uh, mm -hmm. And, you know, they keep trying to build different ideas on top of it, but, like, it's always this idea of, like, well, we don't want to touch the core game, right? Because everyone likes the core game, no one wants to mess with the core game, so they, let's build stuff on top of it, which I think is kind of 
uh, interesting to do. I mean, you look at uh, companies that have built, you know, entire like businesses off like working with um, public domain stuff like Disney, where they're where they're more than happy to build off of like ideas that already exist, and then the layer on top is what they're selling. Uh, I I don't know if this new one's going to be necessarily particularly interesting, but it's all hyped up and. You know, we're going to we're going to build all this cool stuff on top of it. and It's going to attract everyone. And I feel like all these games also kind of like fragment the grandmaster community where each of them has like the celebrities they bring over. Like oh, we've got these grandmasters. Oh, we've got these grandmasters. And that's mm-hmm. like it's like this weird sort of niche celebrity group that are all kind of doing their own like endorsing of their own games. Um, and I mean, I, I think it's kind of great, I guess, for chess people. Uh, but at the end of the day, like it's going to be tricky to. Uh, have any of them really be able to survive all that well versus just playing chess for free? If there's any kind of entry cost or anything like that, it, if it's just play to earn, then you're going to have to like really find a uh, a, new, a unique model that makes sense for the earning because uh, I think as we know at this point, just, just playing something to earn is not necessarily the most uh, sustainable or smartest long-term model. Yeah, it almost goes back to the, the credibility conversation around the loot where We've seen this a lot of times in blockchain and NFTs, like Ronaldo doing projects to try to get people hyped up about soccer or football. Sorry, I might have just offended a lot of people um, with that. Um, but this this specific project, I saw they're they're working with Play Magnus Group, and so they they have the chess icon brand associated with this one, and so it almost feels like a game of, okay, how do we get people that aren't comfortable with NFTs comfortable through credibility of these these people and images that they know and, and appreciate from their past. And maybe how do we change the game mechanics 10% to say, hey, this this isn't just a bad use of, of Web3 because we're changing the way you play the game, not just adding NFTs to traditional chess. Um, and I think we've seen that in a lot of a lot of blockchain games where it's like these iterative steps, trying to find sources of credibility that get non-crypto natives excited about it, and then just you know continuing to to push that a little bit further and hoping that that drives adoption. Um, and I just yeah, I don't know if I if I get particularly excited about those applications and use cases, but it feels like a big a big part of this one is the Play Magnus group being associated um, and just, just having that branding of this is the best play, like screw chess.com, just come here and own your assets instead. Mm-hmm. For me as an investor, I ask myself the question when I hear this, it feels like all of these games are essentially fighting for revenue from chess.com, where the amount of money created within chess is limited i have no idea how much money chess.com makes um you know if you know please let us know in the discord or in the comments or whatever um very curious about that but it feels like it's it's not that much and one of my frustrations and and that's why i struggle with like seeing the potential in these specific games is i don't see that market growing significantly or exponentially like i don't see a 10x of the like the total chest revenue with blockchain. I don't I don't even see a 2x. I see a you know it's it's literally like you're building a game with NFTs and then maybe a play to earn element and you're essentially like the only thing you're trying to do is you're stealing market share from chess.com. People that play on chess.com they suddenly see a game where they actually like you know can do some more interesting things and could perhaps own the pieces they play with and there's some challenges that let you earn some tokens there's some some kind of meta game around it um and now i'm referring to immortal game i don't know what this new game is going to be that we're, we're talking about um anyway uh, and so you know it, it the potential is so limited for me and it, it's so skeuomorphic where there's mm-hmm. like very little innovation going on um that uh, i just can't get excited about this yeah i can't trust it with poker three. Yeah, Tamsin Web 3 are very 
<laughs> very interesting where because the current Web3 market is so small, when people come in and they're like, hey, we're going to bring the Web3, we're going to bring the chess audience to Web3. Relatively, it seems huge, right? That's a massive increase of players. And if you're able to get millions of chess fans wallets for the first time and get them on your game, it sounds like this massive opportunity, especially since, you know, the revenue you're able to generate per player historically in Web3 has been so ridiculously high just on an average per user basis. Um, and so, so TAMs are a funny thing where when you get pitched on these things, it's almost like a, hey, we're going from zero to one. And then it's like, yeah, but how do you get from one to 10, one to 20? Um, is the market really that big? Or are you guys just kind of anchoring us low to the Web3 environment and saying, hey, we can get all of chess.com on our site? I think, A, that's Herculean effort. And B, like, even if you do that, how exciting is that from like a venture return perspective? Is that a, is that a one, two, three billion dollar company? Or is that a $150 million roll up into some strategic that wants more chess exposure. Um, it's, it's a weird anchoring. It's just a weird anchoring on the TAM side. Mm -hmm. yeah. uh, your thoughts, Devin? I, I feel like uh, poker is a, is an interesting contrast, right? Because it's another kind of like open game, but one that I feel like just makes a lot more sense. Um, for the monetization models and stuff like that, um, for for trying to fight over market share from versus like traditional poker sites, things like that. Obviously, the way money is involved is very different. Um, but at the end of the day, it's still just competitive play. I mean, usually involving more players, um, you know, in a poker environment versus uh, one versus one in chess. But it just the monetary model just makes a lot more sense when people are like doing poker style systems. Although, of course, you get into the dangerous territory of gambling. And regulation there, but I feel like you know contrast with ice poker or any other poker variants that might come up um, to try and challenge ice poker, and it, that model makes more sense. I bet there's other games out there if you're looking at public domain games that you're trying to like uh, steal from the TAM of, as uh, Phil puts it. Then it's you know there's there's probably better candidates out there, and maybe they're just looking at like well nerdy people like chess and, and nerdy people like blockchain, and so this is an easy sell because you know they like tech and stuff. Um, but I don't, I don't really know that that's, that there's that overlap there, but we'll see, right? Like maybe having three or four different chess games doing it will help find what, uh, what value there is rather than just having one and, and it either succeeding or not. Mm -hmm. Do you, Devin, um, see a larger increase in time for blockchain applied to poker than blockchain applied to chess? I think so because like the mentality makes sense there. If you're talking about play to earn, um, the, as long as you're you know coming with the mentality that like not everyone can win, I think everyone is kind of comfortable with the idea of going into poker or something like that, and you know maybe winning some of the time, maybe losing some of the time, and like that actually being a, a value a play to earn system that actually makes sense for people like both from the player side and from the business side. Of things as long as you can take a cut it's it literally just dancing around regulation is the only problem i think that's something like poker has um in terms of how you kind of obfuscate it. like the way ice poker works kind of really sort of semi skirts regulation by acting kind of differently because it's not really like buy-in the same way you're not buying chips um and then cashing them out it's it's so obfuscated that they maybe maybe get around it i don't want to say they do for sure because there's always potential for them to uh to get taken down here and maybe they just haven't generated the attention yet but 
I think it just makes a lot more sense. Obviously, any competitive game you could wager on, right? And you could say like, okay, well, any competitive game where it's even just 1v1, you're just wagering and therefore money. But not, that's not the model these chess games are generally taking. It's not some wager uh, sort of system that would make sense. But I think there's probably other games out there, like I said, that besides poker and chess that could be explored. And I do hope we explore some of them. Um, but at the same time, like I hope we also come up with game models that make more sense for new technology instead of just slapping, you know, uh, a, a new sticker on the same old thing. Thank you. Breach. <laughs> okay, good. Um, what else do we want to talk about? Maybe Gamescom. So I was in Cologne from Tuesday to Friday. Um, spent two hours on the expo floor. <laughs> That's it. Um, what I know from that was that <clears throat> there were almost zero blockchain gaming companies there. Um, I think Skyweaver was there. Locklords was there, and these are the only one that I'm aware of. So very, very low amount of um, presence for our Web3 nerds, um, which was a good thing for them because then they got more interest. Um, I heard from the Locklords people um, where Bitcraft, we, we invested in them. Um, and so I went to say hi. And there were, so they were also, they had a booth in the, the business area. And so a lot of People from like, um, what was it? The the guys behind Mount or Mountain Blade Banner Lord. It's like a, a medieval style game, and they went because it's it it looks extremely similar to what Block Lords is building, and so they were like, "Why aren't we doing this? You know, why aren't we doing what they're doing?" So they were interested. Um, and then apart from that, um, yeah, some interesting uh, talks with the the Axie people. So I met some people from the Axie team and and, and people around that ecosystem. And there's one thing I'd, I'd like to touch upon with you guys um, and, and get your thoughts on. So one of the things that gets discussed as like this, the, the one of the values that blockchain brings to games is this concept of true ownership. Um, and I find it like we already like we already talked about like what does that even mean, right? And I think like another discussion is what does that mean in people's heads? So like, what does it mean in the practical sense, but what does it mean in like a mental sense and how people think about these things? And w one of the things I am more and more starting to realize from anecdotal evidence being told to me by people in the Axie ecosystem is that some people that own Axies, um, like literally have tattoos of their Axies on their body. And so just because they have this true ownership, they feel part of an Axie nation and they'll play anything that Axie brings out. So Origin, for example, without any play to earn system, um, had 750,000 players on the first week. Now it's less. I think they're about 30, 40K um, DAU. And then I don't know how, how much MAU they have. I don't know by heart. Um, so it's not it's not crazy, right? But there's no, no play to earn element. And... Apparently the game's better. I haven't played it, so I can't. Uh, I can't say. But so it, it feels like you know these people. Like when they say the Axie Nation, it's actually like kind of uh, almost a. It's it's way more than a game, and it's become way more than a game. And I feel like you know this might be one of the major unlocks, for like what blockchain brings to games. It is turning games into more than games and turning them into like communities where people feel part of it and they identify it with themselves. Um, and yeah, what, what do you guys think of that? I think you could say that about just about any community is X nation, 
like I hear that about podcasters, like you could form that around just about anything, uh, especially online. What's that? Fogdown Nation. Fogdown Nation, that exactly. That's yeah. absolutely who wants to be a citizen of Fogdown Nation yeah. for sure. You gotta, you gotta smash that subscribe button and and kick that like button and all that. Uh, it's it's just one of those things where um, as tribalism kind of continues to grow, as people fragment in some ways and then look to kind of group onto other things in other ways, like. That's no way unique to Axie. The one thing that is interesting about Axie, and you bring that up with the tattoo thing, is the idea of there's these unique Axies to some extent. Now, uh, I mentioned through breeding, there's ways to have duplicates, right? There's ways to have the same Axie. It's not like a PFP kind of project where there's guaranteed unique item, but you can still have ones that you like personally identify with in some way, uh, you know, things like that. And I think that is kind of an interesting aspect that there's enough of a level of personalization that you can kind of identify more specifically than just grouping around, say, a celebrity, uh, you know, a streamer or something like that. But at the end of the day, I don't, I, I think the community aspect is probably actually one of the stronger parts of Web3, but I don't know for sure that that's something that carries forward uh, into a, like a mainstream, like let's say Web3 games, uh, the Web3 part's not even mentioned anymore, it's just gaming. I don't know that that will keep that same sense of community that we have now. Um, going forward without just being around certain projects. Um, I imagine mm -hmm. some going forward will we'll still be able to do that sort of thing, but it's like Kickstarter at first like had this huge thing around it. Like Everyone would rally around these big projects, and then it started fragmenting more and more and more into these smaller projects, and you can still get that. You can still get some community around these massive projects, but overall it's so much more fragmented now because of so much more things to be uh, grouped around and things that just totally get missed and ignored. And I think we'll kind of end up in a similar place. And I don't think Axie is necessarily all that special, except for it's kind of place in history more mm -hmm. than necessarily the game or the people running it or whatever. It's it's the timing and the thing that it did. Uh, so it will always have like a, it's place in sort of like the overall, you know, arc of things. But I don't I don't see it going like being invincible to dying off um, just because people are getting tattoos. Before you go, Phil, and I know you have very moderate and smart thoughts about this. I'm going to disagree with Devin. And Sweet. I'm going to say, give me another game that has people freaking tattooing the the like the like units or whatever the characters of the game after it's been around for like two years. I have a like, friend of mine with half like, like tattoos. He just got them sorry? somewhat recently. It's a pretty old game. Yeah. It's an old game. That's my point, right? Like, my point is the more recent mm. it is, like, I can understand people having Pokemon on their body. I can I can get that like I've been playing that game for like what is it 25 years um so but for me the difference is that it went so fast and I think it's yeah this is because I, I used to think exactly the same as you Devin it's like oh culture you you have culture and community like everywhere but from some of these anecdotes it, it just feels like um it is it is different you know it's different this time uh, dreaded last words um but you know it, it it does seem to me like it's different so Devin, like there's no way to prove anything around this so we're gonna have to agree to disagree but um yeah i think you know from what i've been hearing right. and seeing um there is there is something something different there that that i think you know we've never seen it's absolutely um, a time will tell kind of thing yeah, yeah. I, I do think to nico's point the, the focus on it's different is very relevant here and I do think Axie may end up being a very unique case here where this community fandom is particularly high because of just 
the time and place it had in history, right? It was the innovator of this play to earn model that was, you know, maybe more impactful in certain parts of the world than it would have been for the three of us, right? Where post COVID unemployment rates going up in the Philippines, people are able to supplement their income or replace their current stream of income with this game. And so it was more than, it was more than a game to a lot of people. It was a livelihood and it was, it was a source of community. Um, and, and just like a new model that I think gave a lot of people hope at a pretty, pretty dark time. And so I think that, you know, obviously there are, there are different varying degrees of this, but I think that it did strike a certain, certain time and had a certain role in people's lives that accelerated the process of going from a fan to a super fan to getting a tattoo on my body of my Axie. Um, I do think there is something just from the, the provable ownership side where you can't really with NFTs pretend to be part of a community from the standpoint that you either like have an asset or you don't, right? You can't say like, oh, like I'm huge into this game and like I love Axie and and I don't have any Axie, so I don't play the game. Like you can demonstrate, hey, I'm a fan and I am part of this community. And my pseudo membership card here is the fact that I own this Axie and this Axie is mine and I can show you that it is mine. I, you don't just have to take my word for it. Um, and so I think that does open up the the possibility of NFT games having these these provable fandoms and, and provable communities. And there, there's a certain degree of power to that. I think I'd, I'd fall into more of the skeptical side that the Axie level of fandom is the new norm. Um, but yeah, like like Devin said, time will tell there. Um, I just think this was a kind of a, a unique case. Um, but yeah, no, we'll, we'll see. Mm -hmm. We'll see. Good. Want to talk about GTA? Yeah. Still? So, you know, I know Devin loves let's go make a good game uh, being quoted in the blockchain game world. I think one of the one of the big pieces of news this week was a group called Black Block raised one and a half million dollars from Play Ventures, which is a great content investor um, in the gaming world. They're creating a GTA style game, and it's originally going to be going for PC with the, the goal of eventually taking it cross platform and particularly mobile. And the team is one of the highlights here. They have a few people that actually worked on prior iterations of GTA, great game development experience. Uh, and their goal is to kind of take the model and the feeling of being in this open world GTA and leveraging blockchain as a way to, to make this experience almost feel a little bit more real and make the experience more co-created with the audience, which has always been a big part of the Web3 gaming world. Um, and so I thought one of the things that was interesting is they talked about how with the dynamic job economy, players can contribute to an online society of real people by living their childhood dreams of becoming a police officer, a firefighter, or a number of different career, careers available. I seem to be playing on the the GTA RP or role playing um, element to Grand Theft Auto, which has been one of the probably best points of sustainability for that game in this long period leading up to GTA Six. Uh, it seems like they're really creating a a game where that RP side is potentially at the forefront, um, and and so capturing on that trend and creating a game really built around that concept. So it's team team seems very strong. Really cool idea. I think. I've seen a few people going after like on-chain or, or Web3 GTA style games. And it's definitely a big task if you want to come close to the fidelity of what GTA is known as. But um, it's cool to see some of these these big visions coming out and, and taking the best elements of certain traditional games and trying to leverage NFTs or blockchain on-chain capabilities to enhance those and take them one step further. The way it was described almost sounded more like um, something like Star Wars Galaxies in an attempt, something mm -hmm. like that, where, where it was like, this idea of jobs in the economy and all this stuff, um, which is like something that I think is cool. Um, 
but it's going to be really interesting to see how the blockchain affects that for for example, if you're talking GTA type games, right, you're talking crime as like a central game element, right? So it, let's say people have their assets and they're tokenized in some way, either NFTs or fungible tokens, whatever. And you have players that are playing as thieves and stealing those things. I think there's a certain reality of having stuff stolen that is blockchain stuff versus just totally virtual that I think will... <laughs> Well, maybe be a bit bit harsh reality for for some people, and it'll be interesting to see because they mentioned police officers specifically. Will that be a thing? Like, will will people be really like investigating the theft of like someone's NFTs in in a game in like this semi role playing fashion as like a job? But you have to keep in mind like that while you will get some insane level of obsession over doing these kind of jobs and role playing them, and like this the series is the way people like straight up. Um, you know, essentially role play like uh, all kinds of things in games like uh, it was like flight tower coordinators for like um, mm -hmm. for, for flight sims and stuff like that. People are into that for sure to some extent, but you're not going to get see someone like consistently clocking in for their eight hour shift and doing their beat around the city like as like a major thing for most people. Right. Like it's it's going to be rough to kind of justify that kind of uh dedication to, to act like it's a job and so it's not going to function like exactly like a regular economy right it's gonna it's gonna function like a game-ish economy sort of more like a role-playing game than anything else um so i guess the rp side makes sense but the lack of details uh, has been a little concerned in that they're kind of leaning a bit more on the pedigree of the team which i know as vcs of course you guys shift from this idea of like you know cool speculative stuff towards looking at the teams more and stuff like that can they deliver? And I am kind of curious, like, it, were these, like, developers behind more recent GTA, which actually was multiplayer and online, or is it more like, oh, well, the single-player GTAs, but, you know, they could figure out multiplayer, and it's like, well, <laughs> I mean, to be fair, GTA 2 did have multiplayer back in the day, but it's, it wasn't quite the same as GTA 5's. Mm. Yeah, it is interesting on the, on the real-world side of this, too. Anytime I talk to a team that's trying to build anything that replicates elements of reality, like in the social and the political side, I always have to have a conversation with them around how they control chaos in the digital world because the consequences of bad behavior in a game like this is very different than in real life, right? Um, you know, if you kick me off of this game, that is because I because I ran somebody over with my car or I, I robbed them of all of their possessions and took them away. The, the risk profile is very different and just like, how do you control human nature to want to do that in the digital realm? Because, you know, their, their risk profile is so substantially lower in a game like this where like the worst happens you get kicked off the game or you maybe create a new account with new new wallet new nfts um so i i i think that's one of my concerns when you bring in the the real money and real asset element of it um it, it's really really cool in theory like i love the concept of risk and nfts being able to bring risk into games and having this open world where it is kind of a simulator of sorts but it i mean th those challenges are going to be very very difficult to overcome this reminds me of a, a book i just finished reading which is ready player one it's actually a really good book <clears throat> one of the the few ones that i like really want to keep on reading it's a really good book so i highly recommend reading that one um where they have the concept of like you know if you die in the game you lose all your shit and you don't want to lose all your shit so uh yeah anyway um one, one last thing that you guys your, your discussion reminded me of when you're talking about jobs in the metaverse at gamescom in cologne you know what i saw so many of 
like freaking simulator games, like farming simulator, goat simulator, building simulator, like city builder simulator. It was insane. It's it's like this has been growing. Like I don't know, is is this always been that big, or is it just recently coming up? I feel like it's always been niche. Like I've seen the craziest truck simulator setups ever, uh, where people have like <laughs> six monitors and they have their entire setup, and it literally is like they are driving a truck. And everyone's response is always, why don't these people just go get like a CDL and and drive a truck for a living if they love it this much? Uh, <laughs> and obviously it's different, but it has felt very niche. Um, and I, I honestly don't know exactly what's been causing the rise recently, but definitely seeing more like Twitch engagement, player base mm -hmm. involvement of all of these kind of obscure but interesting simulator games. Is it interesting though? Like a farming simulator, I saw like a guy like, you know, just like driving around on this farm, nice, you know, cutting all of the, the wheat that was there. It's, it, it, I just don't get it. I mean, I feel like things can just get like glorified when you don't do them. Like, I feel like, I don't know, you watch a show like Yellowstone. I don't know if you've seen that. And then everyone wants to go be a cowboy. And I'm like, that life, like, it's cool when you glorify it. And then you go do, like thinking about going and doing it, how like gritty and, and hard that work is. It's like, ah, it's, it sounds cool in theory, but like, I just want to go try it, but I also want to be able to turn it off whenever I want. Mm. So it's like, I can experience it and then, then go back to my normal life. Maybe, maybe it's that. I, I don't, I don't know. It's uh, I don't know if it'll ever be more of an, than a, like a niche audience for something like a truck simulator or a farming simulator, but the niche is definitely there. Yeah. It's a, it's a semi-serious way to participate in something that gives you a sense of meaning. Like the, these kind of jobs and stuff like that could be considered like you know, more this, this idea of like doing something sort of fulfilling where you're like, do like doing something purposeful, but then they're doing it like in this semi-serious way where it's like, like they're, they're enjoying it and getting into it, but they're also kind of treating it like it's sort of a joke, but a joke that they're in mm. on. It's like this sort of like post irony sort of thing to it, especially with streamers. It is really interesting. Like I remember the phenomenon, like catching on a, a what, like Maybe this was like a decade ago. I was looking into it and I was like, you know, why do these? Why does something like Trucking Simulator catch on? And found some interviews with uh, like the developers that developed those kind of games. And they were saying that it was kind of funny because they, um, in some of the countries where that sort of game was actually popular in more like um, European countries or maybe like Eastern European, like the, the places where it was popular, truck driving was actually seen as kind of more of a higher status job. Mm. So it was actually actually kind of a fantasy thing. It was almost more like you were role-playing royalty or something. You know, like it was a higher status thing than you could do. So it was an aspirational game. And then now we do it, it like, it, you know, when we're playing in Western countries, it's more of a reverse where it's like an ironic sort of de-aspirational game, like to farm or to drive a truck or like these these jobs that like we kind of jokingly act like are below us, but mm. at the same time like do semi-seriously. And I think there's a lot of weird sort of psychology to that, but I think it's kind of interesting, especially if we go towards this like uh, culture, like where, where everyone's quitting their jobs, like the great resignation or quiet quitting or whatever. And then we're like voluntarily playing these instead, partially because you can turn it off whenever you want. You can quit whenever. And farming in a game labor wise is, is far, far less labor intensive mm -hmm. than doing it for real, but maybe gives you the same sense of role playing that same idea. Like let's say I'm role playing a cop or a firefighter in, you know, that GTA ish kind of game. It's the same idea where like I get some of the benefit feeling of feeling like I'm doing that job, but with, without all the risk, I don't, I don't get shot for reals in that GTA ish kind of game for being a police officer. I don't have risk of dying in a fire as a firefighter. Like, I'm doing these things in a way that gives me like some gratification of the thing, like through pretending, but with like far, far less risk. And I think that's 
appealing to a lot of people um, just to like find some sort of experience that, that resonates with them. So the next iteration of the metaverse is going to be NFTs being delivered from user to user through a combination of flight simulator and truck simulator. <laughs> and they're yeah, going to be delivered to the doorstep and there's going to be this entire distribution system. And so we're, I'm going to, I'm going to, we're going to, we're going to create the Amazon of the metaverse and take Dude, items. Phil, you're onto something, man. Like I've always said, I think the base of any play to earn that actually works is going to be asymmetric gameplay. So, you know, I think that we'll have a game and maybe that like a game is maybe like a, a like a, a strategy turn-based strategy game and then you know you would have people that are your farmers and they'll be playing farmers farming simulator and the better they do the more resources they gather like the better you as a lord of that town can can play the game and that's is going to be your, their job yeah if, I, if i'm no longer doing vc i i'm creating the uh the ups of the metaverse that's, there that's the next gig Nice. I actually did yeah. try try doing that once. I played uh, the truck driving simulator for a couple hours, just threw a pod some podcasts on, and just just drove. Just <laughs> you didn't realize sweet. how hard parking those things are when you have mm. to park backwards, backing in. Like if you've ever backed in with a trailer on a cart, it's even crazier with uh with like a big rig. Like obviously I didn't do it for reals, and it's probably even harder in real life. But just the like the physics of the way it works is mm -hmm. so weird. Uh, and and again, it was it was that sort of like semi ironic like. It sounds dumb to even talk about it, but it was kind of funny at the time. But I wouldn't like go out of my way to, to replicate that experience uh, yet again. <laughs> but it was an interesting, you know, thing to thing to try. And I actually that reminds me, I had like done some um, like paintball games that were like scenario based games over like twenty four hours, forty eight hours, stuff like that, where you like camp out and um, they had like that role playing element to it. And it reminds me of like LARPing and things like that. But it was like taking paintball and then adding all this role playing layer on top of it. And it was pretty interesting, like when you when you have this kind of narrative element, even if even if it's just you know it was truck driving or you know farming simulator or flight sim, this this the narrative element that you add on top um, adds a very interesting context to menial or like you know repetitive or whatever kinds of tasks, um, and maybe that's something culturally that we start doing to just try and make things more interesting. It reminds me of gamification, just trying to make things more interesting than they actually are, just because we're so bored of everything. Mm -hmm. um, humans are weird you know <laughs> what I also noticed why humans are weird or another example why humans says are the weird says the guy in a loot shirt hey it's one year man come on still hoping for my bags to pump uh. no, that's not true um, kind of true though anyway um, <laughs> so one, one other proof point that people are weird is um, at Gamescom people sitting in line to play a game like for hours, we saw um, like like Goat Simulator, like two hours in line to play five minutes of Goat Simulator. Are you kidding me? Um, it's like, honestly, like if you go to Gamescom, you'll be like 90% sitting in line and you had a lot of people like with foldable chairs, you know, they know like I'm going to wait in line all day. So I'm, I'm bringing my chair. Um, they're like, they had like your, their Mountain Dew and whatever they're drinking, <clears throat> playing games on their phone while they're waiting to play some, the new Goat Simulator. Um, really weird. So um, pro tip, if you are planning to go to Gamescom or probably any similar kind of these as a consumer, try and figure out a way to buy a trade ticket as like either press or like as a company involved in games, like figure out a way. Cause if you can there, you can actually all play all of the games as well. Uh, we don't have to wait in line. So, um, yep. That's uh, a pro tip for you. 
so helpful. That's that's yeah. why you listened to all of this up to up to this point was that pro tip. Mm-hmm. <laughs> exactly. Good. All right. Um, I think you know it was a good discussion. Devin needs to go back to bed. I can see it in his eyes. He's like looking at me like, please, Nico, make this stop. So we're gonna do that. <laughs> Phil, Devin, thanks a lot for joining. Um, listener, I hope you enjoyed. Um, if you haven't already joined the Discord, we're opening it up soon. We're minting our Soulbound tokens soon. More cool stuff coming. Um, we should probably organize another community call soon. I always say soon and then it takes a while. Um, I need mm-hmm. to get my shit together. Anyway, um, I'll start doing that. I'll, I'll start getting my shit together soon. Um, busy weeks, okay. Anyway, um, yeah, have a great rest of your Sunday because I think that's when this comes out and speak to you guys next week. Ciao.